The United States of America needs to get its house in order. The church of the United States needs to get its house in order. The Christian, forgive me, needs to get their house in order. In fact, I've got orders from headquarters today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Said, uh, said orders from headquarters. Yes, we got orders from headquarters. And we're going to thank God for what he's doing and what he's saying. Uh, is anybody going to leave yet? Don't leave. Don't leave. We're trying to build the church, not tear it up. And that's why you need different ministry offices. You need somebody to love you and somebody to tell you everything's going to be all right. You need somebody to tell you that, you know, faith worketh by love and all that. But you also need somebody to come along and kick you in the rear end and say, you better straighten up and fly right. <laughs> And all of that is involved in different ministry offices, and any ministry office can do it. But the truth about it is that we don't want to be deceived but, uh, about what's going on and what's happening in the world. And uh, God is doing supernatural things from heaven, and we thank God for that. And we thank God that His will and His plan is coming to pass and taking place in this earth. We're going to turn somewhere in the Bible where it's, it's coming to me, it's, uh, let me see this. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Now, this is not our sermon, but we'll just start right here. This is not exactly what I had, but it's what the Lord began to talk to me about. One of the things that the Lord said to me here just recently, in fact, He started talking to me yesterday. And then I was uh, <clears throat> studying about it last night, and studying and praying about it early this morning that the Lord was talking to me about some things. There's going to be more interaction between heaven and earth than there has been in the past. Now, and I don't want to go too far with this, but uh, there'll be more interaction between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. Jesus did not accomplish the mission that He was called to by Himself. God sent angelic assistance to help him, even in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. Remember, angels were sent from heaven to do what? Strengthen him. In other words, to give him the ability what he could not do within himself. On what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus took up Peter, James, and John, and there on the mountain, then uh, the Lord talked to the heavenly realm, and then Moses and Elijah showed up. Remember that? And people have went over the deep end and you know, got an error with this kind of stuff. But the truth about it is, there was interaction from heaven to help Jesus to understand the path and the ministry that He was called to, to complete the assignment of God. So they come to encourage and talk to Him about things. Could you imagine the conversation? when Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah. In fact, it was so real that Peter saw them. Peter, James, and John saw Moses and Elijah, and by the way, they knew who they were. So your question is, am I going to know my loved ones when I get to heaven? Absolutely. They had never seen Moses and Elijah. They'd been gone on for years, but they knew immediately who they were. Isn't that right? And then the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, and God spoke there on the mountain. Isn't that right? In other words, there was interaction from heaven on the earth to accomplish an assignment that God had sent Jesus to accomplish. When man becomes more aware of this assignment and the importance of it, 
and desired that more than anything else in life, God's going to interact with them in a supernatural way in order to empower and enable them to carry out His will in this earth. Notice this about the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus went up on the mountain Himself. He called his uh, Peter, James, and John to go with him himself. In other words, he had to take the initiative to go seek God for God's plan. As long as you don't want God's plan, as long as you don't think God's plan's important, uh, then God's not going to force it on you, He's not going to force it on me, and He's not going to force it on the church. He had to come away from the things down below, come away from the things on this earth, come away from the things that weighted him down, come away from all the wars and turmoils and Putin, you know what I mean? Virus and shots and pandemics and epidemics and whatever they got, and just get with God and find out what God is saying. And then when he took that time to do that with his disciples, Peter, James, and John, then he had supernatural interaction from heaven. Isn't that right? Here it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Is that what you told me to turn to? Hebrews 12. It says verse number 1, Hebrews 12, 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Notice this. The first part of that verse Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What is he talking about? A cloud of witnesses. These are people that have went on before us that are in the glory and they are witnessing things that are happening on this earth. They are desiring for the plan of God to take place on this earth. They're yearning for God's truth to be set in divine order and God's creation to come back to what God originally intended in the beginning. God never intended for this earth to be in the condition and mess that it's in today and God ultimately is going to bring it back to what He originally designed it to be. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sticker briars. If Dr. Chip taught me right, and I'm pretty sure he did. There ain't going to be any of those things. It wasn't God's original intent. There going to be no devils and demons and all that kind of stuff. Thank God. Isn't that right? But notice he said there's a great crowd of witnesses. This is people that's went on before us. They're looking at what's happening in the church. A good way to explain this is uh, uh, Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen. We called him, most of us called him, that knew him. Uh, Dad Hagen is a term of endearment, not disrespect, but of respect. Uh, he, wa he was, uh, 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 in a sense, a father in the faith to many, even here to your pastors. You know, they, they followed after him uh, uh, 100%. In fact, they follow after him even today more so than, than those that actually followed him. It's, it's just a, a miracle. Because many people were following a man and stood of an anointing and a calling on a man. So they, they, would, they realized that even though he's a man, they wouldn't follow the man in a sense that was following the calling on his life where Jesus had anointed him to accomplish specific things in this earth. Because God always uses men and women. But anyway, I called him Dan Hagen too, and the Lord had told me to go and hook up with him while he was here on this earth, and I did that. In fact, uh, he told me what to do. And then uh, I remember one day I was at... Uh, 
in Broken Air, Oklahoma. I was, I was sitting in that house, and it was on a Sunday morning. Uh, y'all remember that? And I was sitting in that chair over there. Y'all remember that chair I had over there by the thing? The fireplaces over here, stone fireplace and all that stuff. And I was sitting in that chair, and I was by myself there. Well, not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and I was sitting there, you know. They don't take up much room like I do, you know. But uh, anyway, the Lord said this, and I was, it was heavy on my heart about the assignment that had been given to Dad Hagen that had not yet been fulfilled. And it seemed to me that, that I believe that there were those that were called to fulfill it that actually had come to the point that they didn't realize it. Number one, I just give them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't realize it. Or number two, they didn't understand it. And then I got on down to where either they uh, didn't want to do it, and then uh, I finally got down to the fact that some just flat despised it and wasn't going to do it. And so I was thinking about that plan and thinking about why you've done this, Lord. You've brought me here. You've told me to do this. You've changed, uh, changed my whole geographical location in the United States to accomplish your will and accomplish your plan. And here I am. And it seems to be it's going as far away from your plan as you can. And this the Lord said to me that Sunday morning, He said, I release you from that assignment. He says, clear, just like that. Now, not the assignment of carrying out His plan, but the assignment of trying to do it with those that wasn't going to do it. Because I was submitted, and I was going along with the program as much as I could, you know. And I realized this thing's not going the right way. And then the Lord, because I, I was concerned about it. And it took, you know, I've done it for years. Just kept on, you know, being submissive and just like I'm supposed to. But then the Lord said, I release you from that. Lord, you don't have to follow those that's not going to go on with the heavenly vision. But that doesn't relieve you from responsibility of carrying out the vision. Now, it's not just me. There's many others involved in it. But you got to do it. But anyway, this particular uh, minister, Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen, who went to be with Jesus in 2003. He's not dead. He's alive. Uh, Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen had a sister. And this goes along with this. I wanted to share this story. And uh, talking about the witnesses from heaven and what they understand here on this earth. And he was, uh, had prayed her she had had cancer. And so she was kind of, didn't know a whole lot about faith. So God allowed him to use his faith with what little faith she had to encourage her. And when he started praying for her about the cancer, then God honored his faith. And when God honored his faith, then what he did is he was able through her, what little faith she had, to believe God with her. And the cancer dissipated and disappeared out of her body and she was healed. And so for about five years, everything was fine. It was glorious. As Granny used to say in the country, y'all remember? Y'all say it too, hunky-dory. You know what I mean? I mean? I mean, just floating along. But all of a sudden, she got attacked with cancer again, and, and a different kind, different part of her body and everything. And, and then uh, uh, Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen, uh, a man of faith, believing in God and having, you know, love for his sister, didn't want to see her die, of course, just like we wouldn't, you know. Then he started trying to scotch for her. Y'all know what scotch is, y'all country folks. These city folks don't know nothing about a scotch and nothing, you know. He's trying to help her, you know. And so uh, he was scotching for her in the spirit, trying to help her, but he realized that I'm losing ground. In other words, instead of her improving like she did last time and getting better like she did last time, uh, she started getting progressively worse. 
And then as she got progressively worse, and of course this is five years after she was healed of the first event. It wasn't long after this, even though he had prayed, even though he had believed God, even though he had released his faith, even though he had tried to get her to release her faith, then she wound up dying with cancer. And uh, there was nothing he could do about it. And so, uh, Dad Hagen started to uh, thinking about it because he was there when she died. She died at, uh, you know, at home on what they call her deathbed. They didn't have all the stuff. They didn't have hospice and, you know, all that stuff way back yonder in the early 1900s, you know. So anyway, she was at home in the bed and the family was gathered around because the doctor said, you know, this is it. They didn't have all the machines that they got today and all that stuff, you know. They was gathered around the bed when she took her last breath and her spirit leapt out of her body and went to heaven. Just because she had cancer and died with cancer don't mean you go to hell, you understand, at all. God's still with you. It's the devil that causes all that mess. Anyway, he, he went on. And of course, everybody, you know, loved her and was sorrowful, you know, for a while. And then uh, after this experience, later on, he was lying on his bed uh, in the nighttime, and he began to think about his sister and what it was like for her to die, because he had died three times himself earlier on, and he knew what it was like to leave the body and and to see your body laying on the bed. He had had it, you know. They they even got books and I think even movies now, Christian, about afterlife experiences and and people that actually come back and tell you what happened, you know, and. Uh, but anyway, he, was, he knew what it was like to die. So the first thing he thought about as he was lying there about his sister to bring comfort to him, you know. He was talking about, well, she's seen all of us standing around as, as she left her body. And, and I believe he even began to quote some scriptures, you know, as she began to leave her body. We call it dying, but leaving her body. She didn't cease to exist. She just didn't live no more in this realm. She moved into the next realm. And he said that he knew that she saw all of them standing around. And that must have brought joy to her heart and comfort to her heart because all the family was there. All the immediate family was there. That showed that they loved her, they cared about her, they were concerned about her. And then he remembered what it was like for him, you know, uh, to go up and what it would be like for her to go up because he'd been caught up to heaven himself before in the past and then how she went to heaven. And so that kind of comforted him. As he was thinking about that, though, all of a sudden, he had an experience that he didn't expect to have. Now, Sister Rachel, no, it wasn't Rachel Tepetel, it was Sister uh, Jeannie Wilkerson. Sister Jeannie Wilkerson had prophesied to him months before that he was going to have an experience where he'd be caught up like Elijah was. He'd be caught up to heaven. So he just, he just put it on the shelf, so to speak, and he didn't think nothing about it. He didn't try to make it happen. He didn't try to dream about it or prophesy about it. He just went on, you know. So while he was lying there on that bed that evening, you know, at dark time, nighttime, thinking about his sister and her going to heaven, suddenly he had that experience. And he went up to heaven. That don't mean his physical body did. His physical body didn't. But in the spirit, he traveled to heaven. He traveled up through the atmosphere. He traveled up real fast. It's faster than a jet airplane. A lot faster than a jet airplane. So he got up to heaven. And when he got up to heaven, he could see somebody. He walked in to heaven and he could see Jesus. 
Jesus was facing him, but somebody was standing in front of him, between him and Jesus, looking at Jesus, and they were carrying on a conversation. So Dad Hagen was drawn to walk in that direction, so he walked up, and as he walked up, he realized, that's my sister. He's sitting her back and her hair and everything, and her, made out he knew who she was. So you want to know if you're going to know somebody when you get to heaven. Yes, you're going to know them. So he knew it was his sister. And suddenly she saw Jesus looking behind her. You know how you can look around somebody while you're talking to them? His attention was focused. Jesus' attention was focused on Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen. And he's talking to Kenneth Hagen's sister. And so she stopped talking to Jesus and she turned around and she saw him, her brother. Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen. And this is what she said. She said, Oh, Ken, don't feel bad, because he did. Because you couldn't pray cancer off of me. He said, There was a reason. She said, But don't feel bad about it. She said, Everything's all right. I'm happy and I wouldn't change anything now. She said, I've already seen so and so. That was her daughter that got killed in the car wreck. I done seen her. Then seen Granny, I done seen Papa. She knew who they was. I'm telling you, we go in there one day. Don't make me get up a load today. I got I seen the bus down there. I mean, it ain't a demotion to go to heaven. It's a promotion. I'll guarantee you. A real promotion to go to heaven. So anyway, she said, Don't feel bad about it, Ken. She told him what you saw and not everything, but saw. And she said, Now. She said, I want you to talk to Jerry Ruthie. Now, that was his nickname. He was a big old fellow, my wife. I mean, that guy, you think I've been eating some biscuits? That guy was big. You know, big old guy. Them Hagen boys, you know, were pretty big. Dub, his brother was big, but this is, this is his son. And one of her, her, her sons said, because he had never got right with God, like he should, you know. He had known about God since he was a baby. And uh, said, you talk to Jerry said, he'll listen to you, Ken. And you tell him that Mama said that I'm waiting for him to get right with God. I'm waiting for him. And she said, I'll know it when he gets saved. I'll know it from up in heaven. I'll know it. Remember, we got a great cloud of witnesses. I'll know it. She said, for you see, we know about spiritual things on earth, even though we're in heaven. See, we don't know about the car you drive, the clothes you wear, how much money you got, the house you live in, or nothing. But we understand spiritual things and how our relatives are affected by it. She said when he gets saved, or we'll put it like this, gets right with God like he should and fulfill the call of God on his life, she said we'll know it and we'll rejoice. She said now tell Dub, she had another son, now tell Dub, you talk to, tell him to talk to so-and-so because Dub will... You know, he's big, strong. Dub would just knock you out. You know what I mean? To pray for you, whatever, you know. Crazy from the dead. But that was Brother Hagen's brother. You know, Reverend Kenneth Irwin Hagen's brother. His name was Dub Hagen. So you tell Dub to talk to this other one over here. Because, you know, he respected Dub and looked up to him. Dub was a big old truck driver, cowboy boots, you know, knock you out. One time he knocked the police out. Police pulled him over and cussed him, and Dub just knocked him clean flat out on the side of the road, put him up, put it in the car, took him down to the police station. <laughs> and told the sheriff, I knocked him out because he cussed me. <laughs> so that was Brother Hagen's brother, you know. 
He said, you tell Dub, that's the one that knocked the police out. And of course, later on, he did get sanctified, you know. But it was rough. He was always rough. Though. And uh, and uh, he, he well, I'll know it when, when everything gets right down there. For you see, again, she said, for you see, we don't concerned about the clothes you wear, the, how much money you got, the car you drive, the house you live in, but we know about spiritual things and when they happen on this earth. I'll know when they get right with God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I was speaking at Brother Higgins' camp meeting. 1987. Do you remember that, honey? I was speaking at that camp meeting. Going down through there, just telling my testimony. And guess who come running down the aisle? Jerry Ruthie. Here he come. Remember that? He come up bouncing and running. I mean, the earth moved under my feet. I mean, that's how big he was. He come up bouncing down through there, praising God, glorifying God, slinging his hands and arms everywhere. Normally the ushers would have done something, but that's Brother Hagin's uh, uh, nephew, so they ain't going to mess with him. Plus, he might have knocked four or five of them out. <laughs> I mean, there's 10, 12,000 people in this building. And he comes dancing down to the front, and there sits Dad Hagin and Mom Hagin, and they begin to squall. Because Brother Hagin remembered that in heaven his sister knew what had happened in that camp meeting. He had come to God. He got right with God. In fact, my wife and I went and preached at his church in Texas afterwards. Woo! It's amazing. So she knew what was going on supernaturally. Isn't that right? Supernaturally. What was happening? Heaven is a wonderful place. And heaven is going to be more involved in these last days than it's ever been with things on this earth. Just like when it comes closer for the assignment of Jesus to be completed, that heaven begin to get more involved because the church's assignment on earth is at the point of nearing completion. So there's going to have to be heavenly assistance, heavenly intervention to help us to accomplish the will and plan and purposes of God. Are you excited about it? And we're going to be right in the middle of it. So your next question is, remember this. You probably stayed up half the night. You probably thought about it all day yesterday. If I get to that church, I'm going to ask that preacher this question. I'm going to ask him this. I'm going to ask him. I just got to know it. I just got to know it. I wish you'd shut up and I'd ask him this question. He said, what's the question you want to ask me? The question you want to ask me is, what should I do? You want to know what you should do. I thought you might want to know that. So let's see what Jesus said. Now this is directly from heaven. Matthew chapter 5. This is instructions from heaven today. As far as I know, I've never preached on this in my lifetime. May never say anything about it again in my lifetime. But I know the Lord spoke to me about it yesterday. And dealt with me last night and then up early this morning. Matthew chapter 5. And most of us call it the Sermon on the Mount. And we're not going to cover everything, but we're going to cover some verses here. But uh, this is what I call it. I call it blessings granted by Jesus Christ. Because every one of these starts off with a blessing. 
Blessed are. Blessed are. And the Lord reminded me about this. And this is instructions for the church today. If you want to participate and cooperate with heaven, what better way to do it than to do it through the words of Jesus Christ Himself? We thank God for the writings of the Apostle Paul, uh, James, and Peter, John, Mark, Matthew, Luke. Uh, we, we, we appreciate all of those. But what better way to do it than just following the words of Jesus? So again, some call this the Sermon on the Mount. I call it blessings granted by Jesus. Because what Jesus does is He tries to take here in speaking to His disciples, which we are disciples of Christ, or at least should be attempting to be disciples of Christ. And He takes them from just outward appearance of what people look at you and think about you. Oh, they're a Christian because they do this and do that and do this and do that. Well, you could be considered a Christian because you came in this building today and somebody saw you and said, well, that's Christian because they went to church. But God truly knows if your heart is right with Him and walking with Him or not. Only God knows that. So in this uh, particular, I think some would call it the Beatitudes, some would think, you know, about this too, that God is concerned about the outward. And God does think about the outward, and He does care about the outward, but He cares more about what's in your heart than what's on the outside of you. And so what we do today, we live in what we call, uh, I call, a sight and sound generation. Try to walk by a mirror without looking, ladies. Man, do. Try to walk by a mirror. That mirror just calls you, don't it? But you know, even though you can look at yourself in the mirror and you see the outside, God is more concerned about what's inside. Even though outward appearance is important, and we thank God for that, He wants us to be dressed nice and keep ourselves and, you know, Take care of herself. The madman of Gadara was unclean and unkept. He didn't like that. He cast the devil out of him, didn't he? So, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, I call it blessings bestowed by Jesus Christ. And again, I got this directly from Him. This is not nothing I've ever spoken before. But what He's trying to do here is get the disciples away from the just the outward appearance or putting on a show for man. Remember the Pharisees and Sadducees? They would stand on the street corners making long prayers to make people think that they were super spiritual. And actually, there was uh, uh, dirty and unclean and unkept inside. You understand? So it's one thing to have an outward appearance that you're right with God, but it's another thing to actually have the reality of it in your heart, which is much more important than just putting on a show so everybody can see, but God truly knows your heart and He knows your heart's desire, and He knows your motive inside, which is much more important to God. It says here, in verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, He went up into a mountain, and when He was set, His disciples came unto Him, and He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, He opened His mouth and taught them. Who? His disciples. But who else was there? The multitudes. So he was teaching his disciples, those that was going to walk with him and be with him, but the others got to listen. So you always have disciples, 
and you always have multitudes. And you got to know the difference between the two. Just because people are in the multitude doesn't mean that they're disciples. And now what Jesus was looking for was not what was on the outside. Through the outward appearance, if you'd have walked up, and I'd have walked up, so I'm not just putting you on the side, me too, I'd have thought all of them were the disciples of Jesus. Why? Because they were sitting there to listen to Jesus or standing there to listen to Jesus. But there's a difference between being a disciple and being part of a multitude. And in the church world today, we have multitudes, but how many disciples? So he's about to teach them the difference between the outward appearance and what man thinks and what you think about yourself because you have certain actions and also what's actually in your heart because what's in your heart, remember, is much more important than what you try to put on outside. Even though the outside's important, what's more important is what's in my heart and what's in your heart. And that's what God looks on. God can be merciful to people over and over, very merciful to people. Because he can see their heart. Even though their actions might not have been well on the outside, he can see their heart. He understands why they did what they did, even though it might not be right. Somebody said, glory to God, I can do what I want to now. (laughs) I know I thought that too, but you can't. When you know what to do in your heart, there's a greater requirement to you and greater discipline for you if you don't do it. Thank you. Nobody's shouting now. They were shouting about the other. They like to go to heaven. They like to Elijah and all them talking there on the mountain, you know, and Moses. Many think if they had abundant wealth, absence of sorrow, absence of suffering, good health, a good job, unrestricted, you know, resources of everything they would have, and kind treatment from everyone, that that would be the blessed life indeed. But that's not what Jesus taught. Do you know you can have all the money in the world and be just as so fed up with life that you want to take your own life? Miserable? Depressed? Because the only place that true joy and true happiness comes from is walking with God. You can have everything in the world naturally, outwardly, but not have the Spirit of God in your heart and walk with Him like you should, and you will be depressed. You won't even know why. You'll be a void, a vacuum. You may try to fill it with everything that the world has to offer, but it will never satisfy the human heart. The only thing in this world that will satisfy the human heart is the Spirit of God there communing with you. And letting you know that you're His child and He is your Father. All the rest of it may be a temporary happiness, may be a temporary joy, but it will not bring total fulfillment in your life. Aren't you happy? Remember you asked me this question, what should we do? Jesus completely changed the concept, didn't He? from thinking that all those things are going to make you happy. And what he did is he began to talk about the experiences of poverty, mourning, hunger, thirst, renunciation, persecution. 
I know, I know. You're going to go look at the door and see if you got in the right class. <laughs> he taught that the true blessings of God are found along the path I just mentioned. It's in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, many call it the Beatitude. Some call it the Sermon on the Mount. That's all correct. But what came to me as the Lord dealt with me about this yesterday and then last night, this morning, I call it this. Blessings granted by Jesus Christ. This is going to grant blessings to us. So let's look. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now remember, we got multitudes, and we've got disciples within the multitude. So he's teaching his disciples, but the multitudes get to listen. Just because you're part of a multitude doesn't necessarily mean you're a disciple. There's a difference. It's in your heart. What's in your heart? Verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, his disciples, but the other multitude was there, saying, what the first thing he said? Verse 3. He said, Blessed, remember I said this is the blessings that Jesus Christ bestows? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what we discover here is the first thing you talk about and think about is blessed are the poor. You think about the person that's broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> it ain't got no money. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not even talking about finances. He's not talking about blessed is the broke. Is that right? The broke will choke. <laughs> and the broke will squall. But he said, blessed is the poor in spirit. What is he talking about? Well, according to the Bible, here, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's talking about is the spiritual inadequacies that we have. My inabilities to measure up. I realize by examining myself that I'm not where I should be. Blessed is a person that can understand that they need to change. That they need to make adjustments. That everything's not alright when it's wrong. You know what I mean? But he doesn't do it to the point that we condemn ourselves. Is that right, Dr. Chip? No. But he said, blessed. In other words, if you are totally dependent upon God, He's got you right where He wants you. He wants to pin you to the mat. You ever seen a wrestling before? You know what their goal is to take that other fella and, and they stomp him and knock him and choke him on the ropes, hit him with chairs. But their goal is to pin him to the mat. God's goal is to pin you and I to the mat. And He wants you and I to know that we need Him more than anything else in this world. That's what He's talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, Lord I recognize I'm not better. He, when He gets you there, He can fill you with His self, with His presence, and with His ability. But as long as you don't need Him, He can't make you take it. But when you come to Him and say, Lord, Blessed are the poor spirit. He's not about to tell me being broke when you can't pay your bills. Ain't nothing to do with that. He 
You're talking about the one that feel inadequate in their self. Because then we go to Christ, and Jesus Christ is the one that gives us the strengths and the abilities that we don't have. The Apostle Paul, remember when the enemy came, the Satan came, the messenger of Satan came? He sought the Lord three times because he had been buffeted about by the devils and demons. Everywhere he went, he was you know, experiencing hardship. So Paul sought the Lord three times. On the third time he prayed, he said, Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I said, Brother Randy, is that faith? Yes, if Jesus said it was, it is. In other words, when Paul became totally dependent upon God and not himself and not his strength and not his ability, then that's when Jesus could show up strong in his life. Y'all remember Jimmy Joe? Jimmy Joe Ramsey? Y'all don't remember Jimmy Joe? Red-haired, freckled face, missing all his teeth up here in the front because he'd sold them to get drugs. Oh, y'all don't know about that? I, I can't teach y'all how to take drugs in all in one service, but back used to, you could get quaaludes. Y'all know what quaaludes? Pills that make you float and everything, you know. You know, but, but anyway, my brother one time, they gave him a shot because he had kidney stones and they gave him morphine. And he called me, he said, I seen the glory cloud. <laughs> I said, no, you didn't. You got high morphine, boy. You crazy. He said, I seen the glory. He wanted another one of them shots, you know. But anyway, the dentist, if you go get your teeth pulled, way back in, these old drug addicts, you know, and they had it bad. And they'd take these things and cook them up in a spoon and shoot them things in your arm, you know, drugs, what they do. And they could go and get their teeth pulled, one of their teeth pulled, and the dentist could write them a script for that. And they would, it'd be a pain pill, you know, and they were powerful, too. And so they just kept to the no teeth. <laughs> I'm not, but anyway, y'all remember Jimmy Joe? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jimmy Joe came to prison I was at. Red-haired, freckle-faced, little slim, skinny boy. If he had wrote his name on the wall in three-foot letters, he couldn't have read it to you. Uneducated. He come out of the sand hills of North Alabama. Woo! Which ain't far over yet, you know. He come out of there. And if there's one thing that Jimmy Joe taught our church, because we are all self-sufficient, you know. We, we got our education. I went to the 11th doggone grade at least. <laughs> but Jimmy Joe... Came in there not knowing nothing. And I remember he came to church. Couldn't read, write, or nothing. You know, I used to write his letters for him, read the Bible to him. He taught me a lot. Because he would come to me and say, where's that scripture in the Bible that says so-and-so? What things should you ever desire? I heard you say it in church. Where's it at? Read it to me. And I'd read it to him in the Bible. He said, do you believe that? I said, yeah. He said, why do you believe it? I said, because it's in the Bible. He said, all right then. He said, can you pray with me? And they're praying there about agreeing. I heard you talking about agreeing with somebody. I said, yeah. He said, read that to me. So I turned over and read the scripture about the prayer of agreement. He said, my wife left me, won't let me see my children or nothing else. 
And he said, they got this restraint order out, and they can't even come here to this prison. They can't do nothing. Even though I'm locked up, can't do it. He said, even though the court system is there, he said, do you believe that God's bigger than the court system? you believe God's bigger than the judge? believe God's bigger than the governor? I said, well, well, Jimmy Joe, you know, he said, oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, you want them to preach that stuff, but you don't live it. He said, you don't really believe God. You don't really trust God. He said, preacher, all I got is God. All I got. And that's about the way he'd say it. All I got is God. In other words, if God didn't move in his behalf, it's not going to work. So he shamed me into faith. Because he trusted God. I mean, he went after God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He realized his inabilities, but he did not deny that God had the ability. He said, if you'll agree, he said, my babies will come here and see me. So I mustered up every bit I had in me, and we prayed and agreed together. Three days later, I was out on the prison recreation yard walking and praying, and I heard them call, Jimmy Joe Ramsey, come to the administration office. And I thought, oh, my God, he's got in trouble again. My God, <laughs> he was known to get in trouble too, you know, being rambunctious, you know. And I thought, what has he done now? What has Jimmy Joe done now? So I decided I better go try to head him off where he got there. So I got up there. Or Captain Felton Crumpton. Y'all remember Captain Crumpton, right? Captain Felton Crumpton? I got up there, and here he is standing outside the administration because you couldn't go in there without somebody escorting, you know. And I said, Captain, I said, where do they want Jimmy Joe for? He said, where's he at? I said, I'm sure he heard his name, and he's probably a coming. He said, well, his wife's out here with his two children. He said he got a special permission to visit with his babies. I said, no, ain't no way. So when Jimmy Joe come hopping up through there, he thought he was in trouble. You know, he thought he was going to get locked up again. Can you get locked up while you're locked up? Yes, you can. It's called lock-up. <laughs> the whole, but Jimmy Joe come running up through there. I didn't say a word because I didn't want to steal the captain's thunder, you know, because he knew that they had been very big falling out, you know, the family. And Jimmy Joe said, yes, sir, Captain Hoy, what is it? He said, your wife and baby's up here. And he said, the, the, the warden, uh, Warden Caps, y'all remember him? Not Charles Caps, but Warden Caps, spelled it the same way, said it's given special permission for your children and your wife to come into this prison. It's not even visiting day or nothing, and you're going to see him. When he said that, you know what Jimmy Joe did? He fell down on his knees on that concrete sidewalk, and he started squalling like a baby. And he said to me, he looked up through them tears, he said, see, preacher, I told you God would help me. I told you God had helped me. Well, he was poor in spirit. But he was blessed because of his poor spiritual understanding of himself that I can't do it, but God can do it. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about being broke and busted and disgusted. That's not what it's talking about. In other words, your total dependency is on God. Total. Isn't that right? So remember you asked me this question. Remember what you asked me? You asked me, what does the Lord want the church to do today? Well, that's why we started this. The Lord gave me this again yesterday. 
And then I studied it last night. Then got up early this morning, studied it again. So that's what he's talking about here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This does not mean that you're sad all the time. This not mean, does not mean that you cannot laugh and have fun. But blessed are those who mourn is those who mourn after more of God more than anything else in this world. You sang songs about it. You were shouting about it earlier, remember? Remember, sister? You were shouting, Lord Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes. And that's good, we should do that. But that's what he's talking about. Mourn. They don't want the world. They mourn because of the condition of the world, but they want God more than anything else. And he said, blessed are they that mourn. Isn't that right? Blessed. This is the blessings of God. They're mourning after God more than anything else on this earth. They desire Him more than anything else on this earth. It's not all talking about being depressed and sad and down and out. It just means that I want God more than anything else. And you're never happy totally unless you've got His presence and His Spirit with you. That's what He's talking about. And I know you're ready to do it. And of course, we could say much more on this, but Dr. Chip will do all that. He knows how to put all the wherefores and how-tos and all that. In <laughs> much more than I do. And we'll look at verse number 5, because we'll just move through for the sake of time. Verse number 5 said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now I know back there on the back, you was uh, wanting to know what that means. Well, I'll tell you all, and you all up here too want to know what that means. Remember Jerry Clower, the comedian? He used to play football for Mississippi State, you know, in college, you know. And uh, they was playing this Christian football team. I mean, Christian. And them Christian boys were big, you know. Mississippi State wasn't necessarily known as a Christian college, you know, <laughs> even though there might have been one in there. But <laughs> I'm joking. Anyway, so he said he'd line up. He was a lineman. He'd line up on the line to block that guy, that Christian that was coming in. He said that guy, he said, would just run over him and then drive him in the ground. I mean, boo he said be getting up, spitting dirt and everything. And he couldn't understand it. So finally he asked that guy, the other side of that team. He said, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. And he, he responded to Jerry. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's what you're getting. <laughs> he inherited the earth. Whoa! Lord, you better come on up here, boy. You're going to be eating some more dirt. No, that's not what it meant. But I thought you might need it for, you know, to help you out through the day. <laughs> you know what Jerry Clowder said? It says, blessed are the meek. That means spiritual humility. That's what he's talking about. This, this does not mean weak are ineffective. It, it, most people take meekness for weakness. This is not being weak. Meekness is not weakness. Is that right? 
What did the Bible say about Jesus? It said Jesus was meek and lowly in heart. Isn't that right? And it said about Moses was the meekest among men. But both were filled with zeal and even anger when necessary about God's will. Jesus went in the temple and he made a whip and he beat people and run them out. Being meek is not being weak. You understand that? Moses, the weakest and meekest among men, the Bible says, but when it comes time for him to stand up for the things of God, there was no problem with it. What this is talking about in humility is that, uh, and there's a balance to everything. Today, there's an attitude in the church world even that we're going to fight for our rights. Jesus never fought for any of His rights. He went as a lamb to the slaughter. Meekly, He submitted to God. And He was persecuted. He was whipped. He was beaten beyond human recognition. And He did not stand for Himself. He looked to God. And what happened? They killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Meekness is humility where you depend upon God to take care of you. Now, before you get too excited, if you come busting in my front door at night and the door is locked and I'm laying there in the bed, I'm telling you I've got old Fred beside me. And I know how to make one reach. I mean, one reach, boom, and it's over. So that don't mean that I'm to lay there and let you kill me and my wife because you're some a strange, goofy person. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about that. But this humility here is where you're depending on God to be your spokesman, for God to be your voice. For God to take care of you. Remember you asked the question, what does God want me to do? I'm going to fight for my rights. I'm going to, and there, there's a truth to everything. But when we get things out of balance, it's when we get things messed up. We'll just move along. Is that all right? I keep you too long, you'll be done jump ship on me. Verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness. People want to be happy. People want to be filled with joy. People want to be happy, and people want to be filled with joy. The only happiness, true happiness on this earth, is the righteousness of God and knowing that you're right with Him. And if you lie down and go to sleep at night, and never wake up, there's no concern. That's the greatest joy and the greatest peace that anyone can have. To know that God is with you, that He's on your side. Righteousness is really born in holiness. That's where it's at. Because God's the one that makes us holy, and then righteousness comes out of that. So when we depend upon God and trust in Him, then that's when we're totally fulfilled 
in our lives. God said that they that hunger and thirst will what? They will be filled. In other words, if we desire to have God's holiness and righteousness above any and everything else, then that's where we're going to be blessed and that's where we're going to be fulfilled in our life. It says here, verse number 7, I'm just moving along quickly because we've got to get to verse uh, 12 or so, 11 or something. It says here, verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is the ability to enter into another's situation or circumstances and be sympathetic sympathetic toward them and their problem. Amen. Mercy Blessed are the merciful. It's when you enter into somebody else's circumstances, why they've done something, and then try to see it from their perspective and still being compassionate to them, even though they failed it, even though they made a mistake. But it seems to be in the Christian world, instead of being merciful, we have criticism. And we criticize and we want to put people down because of their what they're doing wrong and what they've done here. But when, when God looks at things, He looks at it from His perspective. And he knows why people act like they act. He knows why. And that, that, now again, let's balance that out. That doesn't mean it make it right for somebody to do wrong. But in order to have mercy... You have to see it through another person's eyes. And that's not easy to do. How you know? Because I've failed at every one of these things at least once. Maybe twice. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, and, 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 but at the same time, I know that God is going to help me. I know I'm going to get there. But if I'm going to be merciful to somebody then that means I've got to look at their circumstances and try to see it the way they do. You know what I mean? And again, that doesn't excuse bad behavior. But if you just constantly criticize and look at somebody they're wrong, all, constantly over and over and over, there can never be no mercy. And if you don't give mercy, you can't receive mercy. So I always try to give mercy, maybe to the point that I go too far. Because why? I need more mercy probably than anybody on this earth. I need God to impart mercy to me. So I try to understand things from other people's perspective. And that don't mean, again, that I always get it right, because I don't. But I don't want to just sit around and condemn somebody just because they made a mistake. I want to give them an opportunity. You know what I mean? Even though, again, that doesn't mean what they done was right. It may very well have been bad sin. But I try to see it from their perspective. Because Jesus looked at my life that way too. If anybody deserved hell, it was me. Paul said, I was chief among sinners. Well, if he was chief, I was sub-chief. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he experienced God's mercy and God's grace. And that's what we should endeavor to do. But again, does it, does it mean 
that there's not guidelines, there's not rules, there's not regulation. That doesn't mean that. And if somebody continually violates those things, yes, things need to be done and things need to be dealt with. Isn't that right? And somebody said amen. So Dr. Chip said amen, it's all right. So let's move right on to the next one. Again, all these you could say a lot more about. Verse 8 said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall do what? See God. You ever want to see God? Well, this is a way to do it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, sense, will see God. Cleanness of the heart brings clearness of vision. Lord, you can truly see God for who He is when your heart is right, when you're pure in heart. And the emphasis in this verse is not just on outward things to let people out there see that that's Miss Holy or Mr. Holy or Miss Christian or Mr. Christian. No, it's what God looks at in my heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, not outward circumstances. What does God see in my life? I can put on a show for anybody. You know what I mean? For a moment or two. <laughs> then I'm going to come unglued. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we've all been there. Like I said, I failed at every one of these at least once. <laughs> oh, you know I'm joking, right? But this at least gives us some standards to look to. Isn't that right? In our life. It says here in verse number 9, moving right along, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Notice what it don't say. It is not peace lovers. Remember, I grew up in a generation of peace. Did anybody grow up in that generation of peace? Peace, peace, peace. I grew up in that. I grew up in the 60s, 70s. Peace. And free love. I had hair down to here, you know. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Sign, sign everywhere, sign, blocking out the scenery, blinking my mind. Do this, don't do that, can't you read the sign? We didn't want no sign, no rules, no regulation, we're going to do what we want to. Yeah, that's the way it was. That's the way we did. So it's not peace lovers or peacekeepers who qualify for this particular verse, but rather peacemakers. Nor is it's neither for those who try to maintain an existing peace, not that maintain a peace, but it's for those who will enter into an unpeaceful situation and try to restore it back to peace. When things are falling apart, when things are wrong, this one over here is going to kill this one over here, and that one over there is going to kill this one over here, and everybody's against everybody, then all of a sudden God empowers you and enables you and desires you, and you desire to bring peace to the situation. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about going around and putting up a peace sign. No. Although he's talking about bringing peace out of chaos and confusion. And that's why we need leaders today on the scenes that could do this and it would solve a lot of problems of the world. Aren't you glad? Alright, here we go again. Verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted, or blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So well, I don't want these blessings. I know. <laughs> I know. But he blessed, he said, blessed are those which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Isn't that what it says? What's this talking about? It's people that are loyal to God regardless of what anybody says or what anybody does. Because if you do something for God, you're going to be criticized. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of the Lord. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. Now, in closing, great is your reward for being persecuted for the kingdom of heaven's sake under these three conditions. Are you ready for this? Are you sure? You're going to be rewarded for being persecuted but it must be, you must be being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not as a result of your wild fanaticism or being untactful to people. Some people call it hateful. And then somebody responds because you said something to them, and then the next thing you know, you've got a battle going on. That's not what he's talking about. The evil that people say about you must have no basis in fact. In other words, there's no truth to it. You haven't done what they accused you of. It must not be something that is the outcome of sin or failure. Right? It must not be that. At all, because then you're deserving of it, in a sense. I mean, you brought it on yourself. It wasn't God that done it. You're not being persecuted for Jesus. You're persecuted because you've done wrong. There is a difference. And then, last but not least, in this being persecuted, it must be for Christ's sake. Suffering that arises from consistent loyalty to Him. Great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. Amen? So we went down through the blessings of Jesus, and by no means have I covered them adequately, but I've given you food for thought. And the reason that I've given you this, and I appreciate your attention today, I've went longer than normal, but I, got, I wanted you to work up an appetite. You know what I mean? It's what I wanted to do before we released you. But I know I went longer than normal this morning, but because of the way the service went, that's just the way it turned out, and so you're just as guilty as I am. <laughs> and so we're all in this boat together, so to speak. And so I'd encourage you today to take these uh, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the blessings from Jesus, and just study them yourself. Just don't take my word for it. Take and study them yourself. Look up every scripture. Look up the definitions. There's some Greek words in there. If you look at them one way, they mean this. If you look at them another way, they mean this. So you have to look at that. I didn't get into all that because I drowned me, plus probably most everybody listening to me. But it does make a difference what the meaning of the word is and what Jesus was actually saying in a situation. But I thank God for you, and I believe that God will be with you. Let me just pray over you, and let's just dismiss the service. Father, in the name of Jesus, I...